today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, I talk about the lockdown, and I know how frustrating it is. And in the Hamilton area, of course, the lockdown's been going on even longer uh, because they were in the the gray area, of course, and it started uh, just before Christmas. And uh, we're told that it's going to happen until about close to the middle of February. There's going to be a reassessment. And, and it's frustrating for an awful lot of people, the shutdown stuff and the inequities between small business and large business. And we've talked about all those particulars about it. But is it working? I mean, that's the overriding question, right? Uh, because, the well, the bar has been set rather high as to exactly what they're trying to attain. Dr. David Williams, Ontario's uh, Medical Officer of Health, uh, says that uh, there's a, a goal in mind here uh, to try to knock the numbers down. They said if you get below 150 ICU beds, COVID patients in ICU beds, uh, that starts to get you back down to where all the hospitals can start to do their other uh, elective procedures, not so elective because some are urgent because all those ICU beds are always heavily utilized. If you do that, knowing uh, the different numbers and percents that usually get admitted to a hospital, our current rates in the second wave, and how many of those end up in ICU, You'll get a general sense that you've got to get below somewhere uh, around or below 1,000 new cases a day back where we were in the end of October. Again, that was only a couple of months ago. So we can get back there, I believe. Your head's swimming, isn't it? And when they start talking about stats like this, and you go, what's he talking about? What did he mean? What, what kind of a goal is that? Uh, it, 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 we're just trying to flatten the curve. That's what it comes down to. And, and of course, he's throwing all kinds of numbers at you. And, and if you ever trouble understanding uh, what Dr. Williams is saying. Uh, you're not alone, uh, which is why we lean on experts to try to give us some context as to what's going on here. And to that end, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program Ryan Imgorn, who is a biostatistician and teacher uh, who looks at these numbers and has done his own number crunching to decide uh, how well or how well we're not doing in situations like that. Ryan, welcome back to the program. Good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me again. appreciate well, it. Well, are we winning the battle here? We actually are. You know what? This is one of the um, first times in a few months that I've been really optimistic with the numbers that we've seen here in Ontario. Um, we've seen a reproductive value, which is how many secondary infections are caused by one primary infection. We've seen this under one um, for more than one week now. So we are absolutely um, seeing numbers drop here in Ontario. After such a short period of time, is that surprising? Well, what we need to really keep in mind is that this is all due to the December 26th lockdown. This is not due to the one that we had last week. We're not going to see those numbers yet. It does take, um, you know, between 7 to 14 days, even up to one month, for a lockdown to really have a strong effect. One thing which we need to keep in mind is that if we have people at home that have COVID-19 and we have them locked in, first that, you know, um, the, uh, the virus would have to move throughout their family. So we'd see increased cases, but then that's when the lockdown would have effect once the household transmission stops occurring. I, I'm looking at uh, the tweet you sent out here, and, and you, you explain this a lot better than Dr. Williams did, by the way, uh, <laughs> and, and the chart you've got, the regional uh, dashboard for a Sunday, January 17th. Uh, talk to us about some of this and, and some of the highlights uh, around the areas here as to how well we're doing and, and which areas are doing even better. Yeah, so actually, you know, it, it's, you know, one of the first times that we're seeing the majority, um, and as of this morning, 31 of 34 public health units have a reproductive value or a the growth rate under one. So they're not actually growing in size. They're actually decreasing in uh, the case numbers. Um, we're seeing, you know, like, you, you know, uh, values between 0.85 and 0.95. We're seeing Lake Toronto at around 0.85. We're seeing York at around 0.85. We're seeing Hamilton at around 0.9. Um, it's some of these really 
really large public health units that have a lot of cases that we're seeing growth rates under one. And that's what's going to bring down Ontario cases fast is when we really hammer down these values in some of these really, really troubling areas. Yeah, uh, London Middlesex, of course, uh, for our listeners in CFPL, they're at, at 0.92 as well, 0.9, uh, which is gratifying. But when I go over to the other, uh, one of the other uh, charts here, uh, the seven-day rolling average of COVID here, there's a lot of negative numbers there. Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's also good, too, when you're, you know, when we're seeing the, the cases now actually decline in every single age group. Um, so as of, uh, like, this morning, it's zero through 99. Every single age group is going down in, like, case numbers. And that's important because up until then, for the first four or five days of, like, decreases, it was in the younger population. That's great. But if we don't see a decrease in the population that utilizes hospitals, that also dies from COVID-19, I don't think it's an effective lockdown. We need to drive down cases in those who we need to drive down cases in. Here's an interesting uh, segment, too, that I wanted to, to highlight for our listeners. Maybe you could explain. Uh, it's, it's the purple one that you've got here on, on your tweet. Uh, it says, you have a 50% chance of exposure if you encounter this number of people in the next month. Explain that. Yeah, so um, that's actually quite interesting because that's actually using symptom onset of cases. Um, uh-huh. So what that's actually utilizing is the fact that like, COVID is actually transmissible during its five-day incubation period, which is the like time between when it's transmitted to you and when you show symptoms. So you're able to, even though you're not showing symptoms, you're able to transmit that to someone else for five days before symptoms and then about seven days following symptoms. So there's around a 12-day period of time when you can pass on COVID-19. So what this chart looks at is basically, um, you know, how likely you are to encounter someone with an active case. Now, this further uses something called seroprevalence. And what seroprevalence is, is looking at studies that the Canada has done, looking at how many people have COVID-19 antibodies, and then like, comparing that to how many people we have found COVID-19 in. Because what we find is that in the Canada, we only capture about one of every four cases. So what this stat uses is active cases. It also um, utilizes the fact that we don't actually capture every case as well. And, and the higher this number is for different communities, uh, is, is, that's, that's the good news, right? Yeah. So what you, know, you want is you want to have a 50% chance of exposure only if you encounter a large number of people. Um, if we think back to you know, when things were really, really bad, mid uh, like December, we had some regions like Peel, you had a 50% chance of exposure if you just encountered 10 people. Um, and there were some postal codes in like Peel where it was actually less than 10. Um, there were some where it was seven or like eight people, you would have a 50% chance of encountering COVID-19. It was extremely high. Well, that's remarkable. And, and, and that tells a story. I mean, I, and again, you see, the province doesn't use these numbers. They haven't broken it down like you have. Uh, this is much more easy to understand, I think. Uh, the number, by the way, for Hamilton is 55. So one in, you know, 55 people. Uh, London Middlesex, it's 59. So just around in the same ballpark. But some of these other communities, uh, Redfrew, it's, uh, 1700, a little over 1700. Uh, where else? Kingston Frontenac, 1600. Uh, they, they're doing pretty well. Uh, we, and they, they never have been trouble spots. So obviously, they're controlling it yeah so i mean uh the kingston is actually one of the more surprising areas um because you know they're a larger demographic um they would be like urban as well and 
we're just not seeing Kingston have many cases. So I don't and know it's unusual because they're a university, yeah, they're a university city yeah. as well. I mean, with Queens there, uh, yet they seem to have everything under control. Exactly, which is you know even more remarkable how similar they are to Hamilton, London, um, these other areas which are really struggling with COVID nineteen, but they seem to be doing a remarkable job. Uh, the breakdown here is really fascinating. As I said, the weekly cases uh, per 100,000, which is, again, very similar to, to some of the data that we're getting from the province in situations like this. Uh, but how do you make the determination, Ryan, as to exactly what you're going to do? You've got positivity cases from sporadic community transmission, which is an interesting statistic as well. Yeah. So actually, that's one of my favorite ones, um, because that's basically looking at if we're able to track down cases. For us to be able to bring down case numbers, it's super important that we're able to find out where they're actually coming from. And one thing that we have stopped doing is we have stopped in some areas um, doing forward contact tracing, and we've definitely stopped doing backwards contact tracing, which is basically figuring out where you got the virus from. Um, and that's why in you know, certain areas when you know, you're looking at like Toronto and some of these areas that have um, uh, a lot of like, cases, they're not able to track down the source of 80% of their cases, whereas if you look at, like, Hamilton, it's around 34%. You look at London, it's around 54%. So not good values, but at least around half the time, you're able to track down who someone got infected from, and that is key to stopping COVID-19 transmission. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not a great number, but you look at Toronto's at 76, and uh, and there's some other pretty high numbers here, too. Ottawa, ridiculous, at 85%, uh, which which tells a pretty ugly story. But again, it's reflective of, of the places that we have pretty much labeled as the hotspots around the province, isn't it? And that's exactly it. And I think that's why, you know, we are seeing cases rise in these areas, because when you're not able to track down where a case comes from, you're not able to track down where that case is actually going to. I mean, if you think back to before this lockdown started, if you ask people where they had been in the previous seven days, they'd have numerous locations. What a lockdown allows to happen is that if you come down with COVID-19, hopefully you've only been to one or two places, we can better track it down, we can better inform people that have been to that same location, and we can really hammer down numbers. Okay, and for I, I just... Want people to understand that that this is this is positive news, and God knows we could use some positive news about this these days. Uh, but for people that think, okay, we're on the road to, to recovery, everything is going to be fine, that we're trending this way now, uh, you know, and we'll be out of this thing in no time at all. Uh, you do put a little asterisk beside this, and that's the fact is that uh, in Ontario, of course, the kids go back to school on uh, February the tenth. Uh, given the data that you've had and the research you've done over the last number of months on this, Ryan. What do you think the return to school is going to do to these numbers? Yeah, I'm really, really worried. I think the fact, too, that we have that B117 variant, which is highly transmissible, and it's more transmissible within the younger population. That's what really, really worries me. Um, if that um, variant is more widespread than we actually think, it's going to become a lot more challenging to stop transmission. We also have a lot of public health units in, in uh, Ontario. I know uh, London is definitely one of those that don't think school is a factor at, at all. In fact, they actually think that school is safer than being inside of a home when it comes to COVID-19 transmission. Um, and that's just, you know, simply not the case. And I think sometimes when you have a lot of these public health units that, you know, think schools are safer than they actually are, it's interesting that they also correspond to the same areas that have more cases from sporadic community transmission. They're not able to link cases back to where they're from, 
but they also don't think schools are an issue. And that really, really worries me. Well, because I know you and I have talked about uh, Dr. Mackey's assertions, of course, in London, Middlesex. He's the medical officer of health there. Uh, uh, I guess we have on the program on a pretty regular basis. And you're right, their, their sporadic uh, community transmission is listed at uh, 54% as opposed to, well, for instance, 34 in Hamilton. And uh, it, it obviously is an indicator. And I know you've been very adamant about that. But uh, if you were to recommend, I mean, if, if Stephen Lecce or Doug Ford were to call you and say, look, Ryan, I uh, saw the chart, loving it, man, it's great. Uh, what should we do on the 10th? Do you, do you suggest that they keep the kids out of school for an, another little while until we get a handle on this? Yeah, so it's actually funny. I mean, I'm not one who actually um, agrees with Dr. Williams that often, but I think his status saying that we need to get cases down to under 1,000 per day, I agree with that, and I think that should actually be the same uh, like threshold for schools. What that roughly corresponds into is weekly cases per 100,000 of around 40. Now, what does that mean? Well, that was the original red threshold that we set here in Ontario, that if you got up to 40 weekly cases per 100,000, you were in a red zone. So if yeah. we had our cases down to 1,000, that roughly corresponds to the old red zone. And I think that's um, a number that I think parents would be comfortable with the risk associated with that in sending their the kids back to school. So they're going to be tracking these numbers. And, and again, you know, like I say, that, that date that you mentioned about the return to school is, is not for another few weeks yet. Uh, and and uh, you're going to be doing this on a, on a regular basis, so we'll get a pretty good indicator as to whether or not they're there. But it's got to be, I would think, uh, one of the determining factors in, in what we're going to do on the 10th of February. And, and not just for the school kids, but I'm talking about the lockdown in general. Uh, you know, Even after a few days, as your chart indicates here, we've had some pretty positive results, which indicates that if we stay the course, we, we might just get a handle on this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing which I worry about with um, schools is the, the screening tool that we have right now is not very good when it comes to school. Um, it you know, like basically screens for very, very small symptoms, um, and it says, you know, they go to school, don't go to school, but it's not different from the various areas. And I think, you know, you and I can, you know, see these numbers and, 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 and it, it seems fairly common sense to understand that if someone has the sniffles in, let's say, Kingston right now, they're less likely to have COVID than someone in one of the higher areas with more cases, such as Windsor, Toronto, Peel, Hamilton, York, um, that if, a child there has the sniffles, it's more likely to be COVID-19. But the screening tool doesn't really do a great job of separating out the areas. In fact, it only separates out Toronto and also Peel. So my worry from that is, is that we're not going to be screening COVID-19 cases out of schools properly. Um, and then we have kids in schools, and they're going to be the like vector that allows for transmission to happen from one household to the next. If I can't travel from one household to the next, that's okay. But if you send your kids back to school, that's basically the like, vector that allows house-to-house -house transmission to occur. Uh, if you want to follow along on this and uh, get the details on what's really happening, uh, you can follow Ryan on uh, Twitter, of course, at Imgrund. That's I-M-G-U-G-R, rather, G-R-U-N-D, Imgrund. Uh, great to have you back in the program. Let's, uh, we're going to stay in touch and track this over the next little while, Ryan, and see if uh, we are trending and, and whether or not we can actually maintain this. Thanks so much for this today, and thank you so much for the, for the explanation, too. That was great. You have an awesome week. 
You too. Ryan M. Gruner, of course, biostatistician and teacher, tracking what's happening and uh, giving us the uh, the truth about, uh, and a, a pretty sharp picture, I think, is what's happening with our handling of the pandemic. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As we deal with the pandemic and the large numbers, of course, of new cases and, and critical cases, and the concern that, uh, that it's having on ICU units right across the province, uh, comes good news that Ontario is actually opening a new hospital. This is the first time in over 30 years. I mean, this doesn't happen very often. Uh, and initially, it's going to be used uh, to uh, take some of the pressure off COVID patients in some of the other hospitals. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Altaf Stationwala, who is the president and CEO of Mackenzie Health Unit. Uh, sir, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you on the program today. Well, thank you. This is a big deal, isn't it? I mean, we don't build hospitals that often these days anymore. Uh, certainly, the need is there, and especially with the pandemic, uh, this couldn't come at a better time, could it? Absolutely. You know, we've been planning this hospital for over a decade. Uh, you know, we have a growing community in Vaughan that hasn't had a hospital. Um, and uh, obviously, when we planned it, even as recently as a few weeks ago, getting ready for the opening on February the 7th, uh, we never thought we'd be doing this massive shift in terms of our mandate uh, but uh, as we saw the projections that were released last week uh, and some of the pressures from our neighboring hospitals, we felt we had to open in a different way. Well, it's interesting. I, I can bring it from a personal experience. Back in the, uh, the early 1980s, I worked at a radio station uh, that was uh, up, well, which what is now Vaughn. It's uh, Major McKenzie and Young Street. Uh, and I got to tell you, as I w- went over the 400 over to there, there was nothing but farm field. I mean, there was nothing there. Canada's Wonderland and then Young Street. And that was, of course, there was a hospital at York Hospital, uh, right by Young and Major McKenzie. Uh, but this is one of the fastest growing areas in the country. Vaughn is just growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, so it's not surprising that that would be the, the location for a new facility. Well, absolutely. And obviously, it's part of... Uh a two-hospital model, so we have our uh, Mackenzie Richmond Hill Hospital that continues to serve uh, this community and obviously the second site coming online. So, uh, you know, as we looked at the reality of what's happening in the province, uh, patients being moved um, all over the place to deal with capacity pressures, uh, in particular in Peel, Toronto, and York region, where that's where we're feeling the biggest pinch in terms of uh, patient capacity with the COVID surge, and now seeing patients uh, sort of being moved from the GT as far as Kingston and Niagara, uh, you know, we just felt that uh, maybe by opening a little bit differently, we could create even more capacity so that uh, patients wouldn't have to go as far and families wouldn't be as disrupted when their loved ones are uh, are sick. Altaf, how, how many beds are we talking about here? So, you know, the hospital has capacity for 350 beds, but that's a mixture of beds from mental health to obstetrics to mm-hmm. pediatrics. So uh, we're kind of shifting that opening. So we're going to open 185 beds uh, on day one, and that's a a mixture of 35 ICU beds and 150 medical beds. And then we can continue to expand uh, the footprint as uh, sort of the demand of uh, the uh, sort of crisis sort of continues. So um, because we're not opening the emergency department, uh, we're going to use some of the space in the emergency department to create another 28 ICU beds. Uh, So that eMERGE has a a very uh, sort of uh, critical care zone that we could then convert for ICU beds. The challenge as we go sort of beyond uh, the current uh, 185 beds is staffing. So, you know, we'll continue mm-hmm. to recruit and see if we can find more staff or, you know, get support from other hospitals. But um, in the end, if we had to, we could open as many as 400 spaces uh, if, if staffing was uh, available. So it, it does really sort of uh, come as a, as a resource uh, if, if the pandemic uh, and the numbers continue to rise uh, for both medicine and critical care patients. But on yeah, we February should... 7th, we'll open 185 beds, 35 ICU, and 150 uh, medicine beds. 
Yeah, I wanted our listeners to understand. I mean, this was not designed to be a, a COVID hospital. I mean, this is this is going to be a hospital to serve the community at large, eventually. Uh, and that's how it was designed and, and, and structured. But have you had to do much in the way of retrofitting to accommodate uh, what you're going to be doing for the next few months? Uh, not at all. You know, it, it's a building that's uh, very much state-of-the-art and really uh, defined by uh, all the rooms being single-patient rooms. So that is a big bonus and obviously... Mm-hmm. 100% fresh air, a lot of negative uh, pressure rooms uh, that can be converted, entire wings can be converted to be negative pressure. So it's perfectly suited for uh, the task at hand. And, uh, you know, we're happy to step up and, uh, you know, we, we hope uh, we can do our part. And, and it's, you know, really uh, sort of giving back. Uh, uh, at the Mackenzie Richmond Hill site, we have moved uh, well over 75 patients out of our hospital to neighboring hospitals. Uh, in particular to Royal Vic in Barrie and uh, as far as uh, Joseph Brent uh, in Burlington. So, you know, uh, we've actually never had the ability to receive any patients because we're always full. So uh, sort of now with our second hospital coming online is our chance to help other hospitals around us. And that's a story that doesn't get a whole lot of publicity, but it, it bears repeating. I mean, the impact that this is having on hospitals, and, and unless you work in one of those facilities or, or know somebody who does, uh, you, you may not be aware of the pressure. We know that in the first wave, of course, uh, you know, the, it, one of the big headlines was, well, because, you know, elective surgeries have been canceled, and we thought, well, we're not there yet with this one. Uh, we've kind of gone beyond that when you look at the numbers of where we were last March uh, to where we are right now, and it's put immense pressure on hospitals all over the place. And the, as you've just mentioned, I'll type that. The fact that a number of patients are actually being transferred from the, from the GTA where you are uh, to Barrie, to Burlington, to Niagara, places like that, just indicates the pressure that's on those facilities right now. Uh, absolutely. You know, and, and the other challenge, obviously, is many of the hospitals are also in outbreaks, so that kind of uh, reduces the number of patients you can admit to any particular ward. So, you know, uh, hospitals are not sort of outside of their communities when there's a burden of illness in a community, and we see sort of the significance in Toronto, York, and Peel, then our staff also are exposed to that that burden of illness in the community, so they can also acquire it. Uh, So we're kind of a a symbiotic relationship, the hospital and the community as a whole. So uh, it's keeping our staff uh, well as well. That is is a key priority. And, uh, you know, uh, everybody's coming together. I'm really proud of uh, the entire system. You know, we are really stepping up as a as I would say for the first time, a true system that works together. We support one another as hospitals, and the staff have been amazing. I'm so proud of our staff. Uh, they continue to come to work every single day. Uh, you know, they do what they need to to protect uh, themselves, but more importantly, to continue to care for patients that are um, in need of, uh, of care uh, at, at a time when, you know, their loved ones are not around them because we're not uh, permitting visitors into the hospital. So it, it's a challenging time, but, you know, they're... They're doing what they do because, uh, you know, they care about patients, they care about families, and they are um, sort of very compassionate and and giving individuals. So I see it every single day, and it's not just my hospital, it's every hospital in the province. The frontline staff uh, are giving everything they can to support uh, Ontario through this pandemic. They certainly are, and they are certainly the heroes in this uh, this battle against this pandemic as well. Uh, congratulations, uh, I'll have about uh, what's going on with the hospital itself. Of course, the uh, Cordelucci-Von Hospital opening on February the 7th and the contribution uh, that it's going to be making, not just through COVID, but, of course, got through uh, into the future as well. Thanks so much for the time today. Good talking with you. Oh, well, thank you for the time. Have a great day.
You too. Take care now. Uh, boy, and, and aside from retrofits on some hospitals, I know that Jurovinsky went through that. The old Henderson Hospital in Hamilton had some new wings put on. But, I mean, a brand-new hospital, uh, and it couldn't come at a better time. And it's, a, it's kind of a turnaround from what we had uh, back in the old days when hospitals were closing down because of lack of funding. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.